I think the most disruptive ideas are unconventional. To come up with those, you have to think differently from everybody else. You can't be out there reading someone else's ideas. That's Vibhu Norby, the co-founder and CEO of Beta, a new store designed for discovering, trying, and buying the latest tech products. Vibhu moved to Silicon Valley after college and joined a startup. He was eventually fired from this first job, but then joined another startup, which was later acquired by MySpace. From there, Vibhu joined Y Combinator with a social network startup of his own, raised some money, and was later acquired by Nest. It was there at Nest that Vibhu started to get really interested in the future of retail, especially for emerging hardware brands like Nest. What Vibhu is talking about here, and what we'll dive into over the course of the episode, is how to innovate in a traditional space like retail, a mission that is the driving force behind Beta. This is Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share, and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. I'm Frank Variano, and today we're speaking with Vibhu Norby, the co-founder and CEO of Beta, a new type of retail experience, and the makers of Built by Beta, a new software platform that aims to power the future of physical retail experiences. Vibhu joins us to share his story, how he got into startups, what it was like running his own startup and working at Nest, why he started Beta, how he thinks about the retail industry, what Built by Beta is all about, what they've learned scaling to 80 physical stores, what's next for the startup, and much more. So let's get started. Hey, Vibhu, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, I'm really excited to have you on. I mean, I've been following uh, you and Beta for a few years and really, really excited uh, to learn a little bit more about it. But before we dive into that, can you tell us all a little bit more about yourself? Like, where are you from and what did you study? Sure. So I'm originally from just outside Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, a small town called Wayne. My first uh, experience with retail was grew up about five minutes from the King of Prussia Mall, which is the second biggest mall in the country, in suburbia. And that's where we used to hang out. I went to school in Massachusetts and studied philosophy, but I also spent all three and a half years in college hacking on side projects with web apps and other kinds of businesses. So I've always had the entrepreneurial bug. That's awesome. And so where did that come from? Like you're talking about hacking on side projects, like was that just something you fell into or... Yeah, you know, both my parents were entrepreneurs and they owned a small business my whole life and they worked out of the house and I never got to see what a real job even looked like. They were always home and they always talked about work. And so the idea of like having a normal job never made sense for me anyway. And I wanted to be like them. You know, when I was like even five years old, I was starting a weed cutting business, you know, I was (laughs) just always trying to start something. And um, I got into programming around 12 years old. And I felt like it was the easiest path to entrepreneurship because there's no barriers to entry on the internet. You can just for 10 bucks, 15 bucks and get a domain name and throw up a shared host on you know Bluehost or whatever and get going. And so I don't know, that kind of just followed me from, from there until now. I, I still feel like I got that kind of energy of being, being a young kid trying to figure out the world and how to, how to make a stamp. Yeah, absolutely. That's super cool. That's super cool. And so like fast forward a couple of years, you know, after you'd been programming and hacking on side projects in college, like how did you approach starting your career? What were some of the first things you did business wise, you know, during those years or, or right after school? So my senior thesis in college was a web application that was sort of like what Priority Inbox is now for Gmail before that existed. And so I'd considered starting a company out of college, but my family and mentors at the time told me that you should go work for somebody else and, and learn from 
experience. And so I, uh, right after college, I came out to the Valley, Silicon Valley, and got a job as a software engineer at a gaming company. And I actually uh, got fired from my first job uh, as a software engineer. I was horrible. I was just not a good engineer. Wasn't a good culture fit, <laughs> as they say. And so I ended up joining another small company and then it was four people and we got acquired by MySpace. So that was super interesting, exciting at the time. And I was there for, for a little bit and then decided to start a company when I was 23. And we went through Y Combinator, raised money. It was a disaster. <laughs> we raised about three and a half million bucks. And you know, it, we were building a social networking product and we had maybe a couple hundred thousand active users, which is impressive. But for a social networking app, nothing to, to write home about. But we we're really lucky to be acquired by Nest at a great time in Nest's sort of history, a few months before they were acquired by Google. And so that's where I sort of got into the hardware world and then retail. And after some time there, it was time to, to go again and, and try something new. And that's at Beta. Yeah, absolutely. That's super cool. What a, what an awesome story. I mean, I'm sure there's there's tons of details in, in there. Um, some that you probably want to go into, some that some that you can't. But I mean, like, what were some of the biggest lessons that you learned from that phase of your career, like before starting Beta? What going through YC, finding a founding a company, getting acquired. What was that whole process like? What were the biggest takeaways, I guess, for you? I mean, you know, honestly, there's a lot of luck. I mean, obviously, if you start ten companies, one of them hopefully will work out. And I think I had tried enough projects that. But, you know, there's actually this, uh, there's a big advantage going through a program like Y Combinator. I didn't know anything about how the Valley worked. And the rules here are mostly unspoken, actually. Uh, and there's simple things like, how do you make an introduction to somebody? How do you ask for an introduction? There's, there's a language in, in the Valley that when you hear it, you know, this person's an entrepreneur, or this person's a VC. And I think going from, you know, I think part of growing up here was just becoming part of that culture and... And then, you know, funnily enough, uh, rejecting that culture too, because I think as time has gone on now, it's been seven years since YC, you know, not everything they say is right. It's right for the time, but you have to pave your own way as well. You know, I think Nest was a really cool experience in particular because there's only so many companies out there that had grown that fast and had become that important that quickly. There's the Ubers of the world, Airbnb, and there really are unique lessons that you can only learn at a growth stage company like that. One of which is there's, you know, that kind of company, all you care about is getting things done because there's no time for politics. There's no time for any of the kind of things that may bog down a bigger company. And that energy is, we were able to carry through into beta, partly because the initial people and my co-founders all came from, from there. So we had, we brought that culture and energy into the next project and we've sort of maintained that ever since. Yeah, absolutely. Super exciting. And so, you know, you mentioned beta a couple of times of which you're the co-founder and, and CEO. Can you start off by telling us a little bit, for those who might not have heard about it yet, what beta is all about and what really motivated you to start it at that time? Yeah, so I'll give you some facts about the company. So we just opened our 80th location in Portland, Oregon. That's huge. Congrats. Thank you. We're about 30 people in the office, about 100 full-time, including retail associates, and then about 350, including part-timers. So the company is, there's a lot of people that, that are working on beta right now. And most people know us as a retailer of new technology products. And we've created really fun environments where people can come in person and try out the latest stuff, learn about it, discover, get demonstrations. But what makes beta special is our approach in, in constructing our stores. So the reason that we have so many interesting, unique products in our stores is because we threw out the old traditional retail model, which is wholesale based. You know, basically like a buyer at a big company, big retailer will place a purchase order for a company's inventory. They'll mark it up in electronics that could be like 50, 60, 70% for some categories. Uh, for others like smart home, maybe 20 or 30% markup. They make money by sort of selling the product. 
And the problem is that that model creates a very contentious relationship between the retailer and brands that make those products. That conflict of interest arises from the fact that all of the brands that sell their products into stores are also selling their products themselves on their website. And so a company like Nest wants you to buy from Nest.com because that 250 that you paid for the thermostat, they get all of it. Whereas if you buy it from Best Buy, they're only getting 180. And that starts to matter when you're in hardware and, and you know your margins are not that large. So the big retailers are just kind of, they start behaving badly. And they've been doing this over a long period of time. And they were able to get away with it in the past because there was no other way for brands to get to market. But when that same behavior carries into the internet age, it no longer works. So they do things like messing with the price point of products in a way that the brands didn't intend. Um, they do things like just putting out the box, but not having any people there that know about the product or are able to show you how it works. They don't have that service mentality that I think customers want. What I realized at Nest was maybe the reason that retail was failing wasn't because customers were shopping online. It was because retailers didn't treat brands the way that they wanted to be treated. And therefore, the best products and the best experiences were no longer available in stores. And if they're not there, then why would the customer shop, right? If the best products are not at Best Buy, then you're going to stop going to Best Buy. So we invented a retailer that was modeled after a software company where retail is a service for the brand. And so the way it works is companies actually go to our website, they sign up, they can pick the stores that they want to be in. We have a very transparent business model. Companies pay for the space that they use and we give them 100% of the sell-through in the store. And once they come into one of our stores, those brands are able to talk directly to customers. So basically we have created signage that they can control retail staff who are our employees are trained directly by the product makers. So they speak to the voice of the maker. And then we provide them a lot of analytics as well to help them adjust their experience in the store for performance or for creating a better experience. That's amazing. It sounds like a completely different retail experience. And so you mentioned developing this type of concept throughout the years of your career in hardware. So how has beta changed, if at all, since that original concept? The experience itself hasn't evolved that much because we have a very first principles way of thinking about the store that hasn't really changed. We believe that a store has three purposes. One is to make you aware of new things. Two, to help you try a product. And three, to help you get service, customer service. And, and by the way, you notice I didn't mention anything about you walking out of the store with a box, which is the intention that most retailers have. And so, yeah, those those drive the way that we construct the store. And and so when you walk into a store, you have, you know, 100, 150 different products out of the box. You can try them. There's no packaging anywhere. There's plentiful retail staff to help you. We have a great customer service side as well, where if you have questions or you have problems with your product, you can come in and help you fix it or replace or return. That's awesome. And so very recently, Beta just announced a new platform called Built by Beta. Can you tell us more about this and how it fits into all the stores that you're opening up? What's happened over the last few years is we kind of started beta to be the Apple store for everybody else, right? The Apple store for the products that could get into Apple or that one of the kind of control that an Apple store has for their own products. And the way we had initially conceptualized that was that, you know, brands wouldn't have to take a whole store. They could share the cost with other brands who were like them and they could pay a fraction of the price. But over the last year or two, a lot of our, the brands that we work with, we work with about 450 today, wanted a larger experience around their products that didn't really make sense for us to deliver through a beta flagship store. You don't want to walk into a beta flagship store and see 75% of the store focused on one brand. You do want to work, walk into a Apple store where 75% of the products are Apple. 
Uh, and so we, we started thinking about and eventually engineering a software platform that would allow a brand to basically deploy an entire store under their own brand name using the infrastructure that we had built for ourselves to deploy our own stores. And it was just a really compelling idea. Uh, we greenlit it about a year ago. And I would say it's the first true software platform that makes the physical world this accessible without having to know anything about how the physical world retail works. Because there's a lot of things that have to happen to make a store, right? There's real estate agent, real estate brokers, finding land, signing a lease, getting a design firm, designing a store, finding an architect, creating the schematics for a store, hiring construction, managing the construction, getting the fixtures designed, picking the point of sale, picking the inventory management systems, hiring the staff, designing the visual merchandising. And then, of course, analytics. And so that's something that we had already figured out. And I really, I really felt like no one should have to go through the stuff that we've gone through ever again. And we could offer this to other companies who were thinking about doing it. Yeah, that makes sense. And so, I mean, you spoke to a ton of the challenges of opening up an actual retail store just, just now. But what's it been like for you guys over the years going through that? What would have been some of the biggest challenges to beta's growth to opening up 80 stores? How did you guys figure all those different pieces out? The three vectors where we've had learnings and solutions are economics, time to market, and I would say data. The biggest mistake that we made and that most companies make is if you truly care about scaling your stores, you have to be able to build a great experience for a lot less than you would think. If you can imagine like the cost of opening a single store can be half a million dollars or, or millions of dollars. And so some of our first stores were extremely expensive. Like we, a great architecture firm that designed a beautiful store. We didn't really know what things you would have to do to, to make it cheaper because it just seemed like, well, this is what it is. Like we have to go find someone to, to, to build this. And in general, like I think a lot of the lessons we've learned are that details matter a lot. Like you, you can't can wave contracts. Like you have to understand what you're spending money on. And, and it's especially true in construction. So one of the skills I have now is like being able to read through a construction proposal and you can start to see where all the costs come from. Like what are the raw material costs? Like what are the things like lumber and like pipes and things that you just, there, there's nothing you can do to make them cheaper other than purchase at volume. And then what are the, the soft costs, like the labor costs? Uh, what is the margin for the construction firms and the subcontractors? So there's a lot of stuff like that, that, that we just, we had learned lessons a very hard way to the point where like it threatened to put our company out of business. We were spending too much money on stores. Today, we build stores for almost one-tenth the cost of what we did our first couple stores at. And they're just as nice looking. And that took a lot of a lot of effort, a lot of diligence, a lot of time. And people, like we hired good people that knew what they were doing and had to figure that out for us. One thing we're still working on is how do we keep the culture of the stores, especially with the the beta testers, what we call our associates in the store, how do we keep maintain the culture as we scale? Very easy to do when you have stores that are like 10 miles from where you live and you can always go there. And But it's increasingly harder when we have stores now that are thousands of miles away. And we're starting to think about things like international where, man, that's really difficult to imagine maintaining that culture. So that's an opportunity that we have for for future, I think. Absolutely. And we're looking forward to catching up. Maybe at some point in, in hearing how you guys have, have tackled solving that uh, in terms of being able to scale culture. Canada will be easy because I feel like anybody that we hire in Canada will be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. And so, you know, obviously you guys have been working at this for a while and and now with the built by beta kind of platform, you guys have a vision for the future of retailer commerce really is. So how do you how do you see it continue to evolve, I guess? So the two use cases for retail that will continue to exist are convenience related stores. So things like I need something now and I can't wait for delivery or I'm walking by a place and I'm going to pop in and grab a bagel. 
And the second is the awareness demo and customer service aspect of source, a la Apple, a la Tesla, a la Peloton, et cetera. And there's a lot of people working on the convenience model. I think a lot of the innovation there is around machine vision, automated checkout, things like that, loyalty. For the other part of retail, which I think is a much bigger use case for retail, the entire landscape is shifting away from these large monolithic brands like Gap or you know maybe in the department store world that are primarily sort of wholesale based or had a supply chain prowess. And that's how they sort of ended up with dominating in the store business. Moving to more lean, smaller companies, micro brands who, again, are focused on awareness and engagement more than sell-through. And it's a sea change for people who own shopping centers, for popular retail streets. You're seeing a massive turnover in, in the kinds of concepts that are taking up space. The problem is that half of the use cases for retail are going to go away. And so we're going to have a lot of space that's just not going to be used for anything. And I think that's good. I think weeding on inefficiencies are generally good for people. And maybe those spaces will be redeveloped into parks, into housing and things like that. But the 50% of retail that remains in the next decade or two will be primarily those convenience type concepts with machine vision, automated checkout, and these direct-to-consumer brands who are thinking about the stores as marketing, as awareness, as customer service. I hope that Beta can be one of the engines behind that type of retail in the same way that maybe a Shopify has done that for e-commerce. Very cool. It's super exciting. And so with that as sort of the target and destination and mentioning internationalization and continuing to open up more stores and obviously really pushing the Built by Beta platform over the next couple of months, like what is the rest of the focus for 2018 and beyond for you guys? I don't think we've shared too much publicly, but we are opening a lot of stores this year, both our own flagship stores and for other brands. One of the more interesting things that we're thinking through right now is non-electronics. We're very strong with technology brands. We think we can be really good at apparel and beauty and furniture and other categories. And so we're working on some experiments in those spaces. But mostly this year is, uh, like you said, built by beta, building that out and scaling our team a bit too. We're we're a pretty small company for what we do. And we have basically like one full-time office employee for every three stores. And so we're going to be, we'll be hiring a little bit this year as well. Exciting. I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, what you guys do in, in 2018 and beyond and coming to the, the opening of the flagship store in Canada, wherever that may be. So beyond that, in terms of other uh, resources that you keep going back to or that you would recommend to, uh, you know, budding entrepreneurs or people who are looking to build stuff, any, anything like books, videos, blog posts that you keep going back to that you'd highly recommend? I listen to a lot of podcasts. I think it's a great way to engage your brain without also being able to do other things at the same time. Mostly, though, we follow our customers. I feel like a lot of the conventional wisdom out there will lead you to be to do conventional things. And I think the most disruptive ideas are unconventional. To come up with those, you have to think differently from everybody else. You can't be out there reading someone else's ideas. This is especially true in entrepreneurship because I think I said this earlier, but like a lot of the advice might have worked for that individual person and it may never work again. And it's very hard to discern what's good advice and bad advice. And that takes a lot of wisdom. I believe in following your customers for sure. And maybe some podcasts as well, including this one. Awesome. Appreciate the plug. I, I mean, I think that's a pretty amazing way to end the episode. Uh, Vibhu, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today, man. It was awesome to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. It was really, it was really fun. Appreciate it. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd love to hear about it and have you share it with friends. Find us on Facebook or Twitter at hack to start or drop us an email, hey at hacktostart.com. You can also subscribe to avoid missing any future episodes by finding Hack to Start on Apple Podcasts, Breaker Audio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. 
Thanks for listening.